Praise the Lord. Isn't it great to celebrate Easter today? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so good to have so many of you here today. And I want to give a special uh, welcome to my mentor. Uh, when I was first in the Alliance, my mentor was Reverend Bill Yonkins, and he's here right on the back row here. And uh, let's welcome him. Blessing to have him and uh, his family here with him. Well, today is Resurrection Day. It happened 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is a transforming miracle in history. It is a fact of history. And it's still impacting people's lives today. God is still using that miracle to impact people's lives today. But it can go unnoticed. For a lot of people, the resurrection means nothing to them. Easter is about the bunnies and the chocolate candy. But if it's not understood, the resurrection, if it's not embraced, if, it's not, if you don't have faith in the resurrection, you'll miss it. Some people argue that miracles just can't happen. They go against the laws of nature. They're impossible because we live in a closed system and miracles would therefore violate the laws of nature. There was a fellow named uh, John Lennox, he's a mathematician, a professor at Oxford University, he says that Christians uh, don't claim that Jesus rose by some natural process that violated the laws of nature. Instead, Jesus rose because God interjected enormous power and energy from outside the system. And he uses an illustration. He says, suppose I put $100 tonight in my drawer in my office, then I put another $100 in tomorrow in my drawer, and one plus one equals two. That's $200. But on the third day, I open the drawer, and I find only $5. Obviously, when you only have $5 in the drawer, the laws of arithmetic were not been broken or violated. 100 plus 100 equals 200. But something happened. What those laws tell you is that somebody went in the drawer and took out most of the money from the drawer. The laws of mathematics or the laws of nature science can't stop somebody from doing that. They're not violated. It's just that someone did something. They took that money. Lennox concludes, in the same way the resurrection of Christ and every other miracle in the Bible doesn't negate the facts of nature or the laws of nature. The resurrection or any other miracle shows that someone, namely God Almighty, has removed something. Especially in the resurrection, he's removed the sting of death. He has conquered death. So unless you have evidence that this system that we live in, the world that we live in is closed, that God cannot penetrate it, uh, then you cannot argue against the resurrection. You see, because we understand that Jesus is God Almighty, and God the Father raised Him from the dead. God is the one that went in that tomb and raised Jesus from the dead. See, when people read the Gospel accounts like we just read today in Matthew 27... People understood and could understand that death plus death equals death. I mean, there's deadness there. Christ was crucified. He died on the cross. And people are shaken by it. He was arrested. He was beaten. And he hung upon that cross. 
And when they nailed his hands and feet in the cross and they hung him up there, it says in the Bible that about the 12th hour there was darkness over the land. I always wonder what that was like. What was that like to be there from 12 to 3 in the afternoon in complete darkness during the noonday sun? Well, if you look at the Bible and throughout the Bible, darkness is kind of synonymous, uh, similar to uh, the judgment or the consequences of sin. And so there's times in history where that darkness has happened. In fact, Jesus, even when he gave his mandate, he was, was going to free people from the prison of darkness. That's why he came. Isaiah chapter 61, 11 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to pre- proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captive, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus' mandate, one of his goals was to release us from the darkness of sin and death. But the only way that he could do that was to die upon the cross, to take our judgment for sin upon himself. And so when we read these gospel accounts, it's no, it's no surprise that from 12 till 3 in the afternoon, Darkness came over the land. That there was something there. It was a darkness, I believe, that could actually be felt. You know when it talks about that in the Bible again? It's in Exodus chapter uh, 10, verse 21. And it's about one of the plagues, one of the ten plagues that happened to Egypt. And one of them was that darkness went over the land, but it was a darkness that could be felt. Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. Darkness that can be felt. Have you ever felt darkness? I, I, the only time I felt darkness is when I've been really scared or really something bad's going to happen. And I believe the people that were witnessing what was going on knew something strange was happening when Jesus was hanging upon that cross. They felt that. When Jesus died on the cross, there was that darkness. And then it says, he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sakabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus say those words? The reason why Jesus said those words was that he was alone. He felt that darkness. He understood the darkness. He understood the separation that he had from his apostles and his disciples He understood from his mother and those that followed him, but he also understood it was a separation from his father. Jesus became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. The judgment of our sin fell upon Christ at the cross. And so he cries out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're the very first words of Psalm 22. Now, some Bible scholars believe that Jesus began to recite Psalm 22 while he was on a cross. Every rabbi that began a psalm would finish the psalm. Do you know what the last words of Psalm 22 are? It is done, or it is completed, or it is finished. The very last words of Jesus. 
While Jesus was hanging upon the cross, he was fulfilling scripture for you and I, but he was doing more than that. He was taking our sin and our suffering upon himself. He was feeling utterly forsaken. But what happens then? When Christ dies, it says here, it says, when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, and the rocks split. Now, you're sitting there. It's been dark for three hours. Jesus cries out, it's finished. And then there's a shaking. But there's such a shaking going on, there's an earthquake that happens. And then, not only that, but the temple in the curtain, the place that separates the most holy place from the, from the holy of holies, is separated. The holy place from the most holy of holies is separated. The curtain is torn from the top to the bottom. It signifies that God did something. He tore the curtain. And what that meant was that now there was an opening made that was once a separation between us and God. That was broken. That was open because Jesus died and took the punishment for our sin. You know, when an earthquake happens, and I've never been in an earthquake. I don't know if any of you have been in an earthquake, but I hear that it's the most insecure feeling you could possibly have because everything begins to shake. And you lose control. I mean, you cannot even walk. And you're afraid of what's going to fall on you. But at that moment, there was a shaking going on. But it wasn't just on the earth. There was also a shaking going on in the souls and the hearts of Christ's disciples. An earthquake, they say, is caused by fault lines within the earth, right? And then when these tectonic plates move, it begins to shake the whole earth, the, the top of the earth or the place where we're standing on. And that's exactly what happened. But these fault lines sometimes cannot be perceived until after the earthquake. That's why some people are surprised when an earthquake happens. They didn't realize that they were on a fault line. Do you know that sometimes when the shaking happens in our life, when the difficult things happen in our life, sometimes God is exposing the fault lines in our lives. And he does that out of his mercy. If God were to expose everything about us, all the things that we needed to fix in our lives, man, we'd be pretty discouraged. But every so often, God begins to reveal or show us that we need more of Him. We need to live by His grace. We need to live by His mercy in our lives. And when He does that, it's His mercy and His kindness being portrayed to us and revealed to us. And I think for the disciples right here at this moment, those that had denied Him, those that had fled the scene, had left Jesus all alone, they're beginning to see that, man, I don't have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. And I think this is, that's a good place to begin. When we recognize that we don't have what it takes, but we need God's grace, we need His mercy in our, in our life, we need His power in our life. That's the best place to be. That's where the disciples were at this time. But then it goes on to say, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When I first read this when I was a believer, I thought the zombies were coming out, you know. Like, you know, these people were walking around, uh, you know. But if you read in Ezekiel, there's a prophecy about Ezekiel. He says that he brings the dry bones back to life. He brings those that have been in the grave. He, he raises an army out of dry bones. It's a vision that Ezekiel has. Something like this happened. Uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. That's one of the blessings that we know is part of our salvation. That one day we'll have glorified bodies. We'll be in heaven. These these earthly bodies that are broken down, that we struggle with. And the older you are, the more you struggle with them. That they'll be renewed. For what was happening here in Jerusalem, could you imagine if all of a sudden uh, Isaiah appeared to you and he started speaking, Isaiah 53, you know, he starts telling somebody... Uh, Isaiah, you know, they see this person and this person starts to say exactly the words that they had prophesied that were written in the Bible. Or Jeremiah. Or Ezekiel. People are struck with the awesomeness of what had happened. People were resurrected. It was the first fruits of what Jesus had promised was going to happen. But this isn't just a promise for them. That's just the first fruits. We're also included in this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, it says, When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God... He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? That's so true, isn't it? There's a victory in Jesus Christ. His death and His resurrection now becomes our victory. His life, His resurrected life, now is imparted to us. We have resurrected life. And that's, that's the beauty of Easter. That's the celebration of Easter. But it doesn't stop there. It's just not the 12 apostles that are going to be renewed by this. But think about it. There you have the centurions, those that have beaten Jesus, scourged Him, whipped Him, mocked Him, put a crown of thorns on His head, gambled for His clothing. Those are all the things that it talks about in Psalm 22. You can check that out when you go home. Read Psalm 22. You can see the description of the crucifixion written 500 years before it ever happened. But what is happening is that it's probably a thousand years before it happened, now that I think about it. It's probably a thousand years before it happened. But what is happening? The, the centurion and those that are with him, when the, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquakes and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Where did they get that from? God had revealed to them. This is no ordinary person. The way Jesus acted on the cross, the way that He spoke, 
The things that he did, it even revealed to them, even while they were beating him, this is no ordinary person. This is the Son of God. You know, the disciples that were once frightened because of Christ's resurrection, now they could come back and they could be followers of Jesus. The marginalized women who, didn't, who many didn't care about that were forsaken, they came back and they became followers of Jesus. Even the thief that was dying on the cross next to Jesus said, Jesus, will you remember me? And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even he turned to Jesus at that time. And then as you go in and you read further along in this gospel account of Matthew, there's a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. It just, it, it talks about the diversity of those that follow Jesus. Here's this rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who is probably in the Sanhedrin, was a uh, religious person, and he takes his family's grave and he gives it to Jesus. Another fulfillment of prophecy. But even he is believing. What's so awesome about the resurrection is the power of God's ability to reach anybody, even you and me, with His love. And that power of the resurrection is still evident today. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34, written by the Apostle Paul, who was somebody that believed in Jesus after the resurrection, years later, He's on the road to Damascus and he has an encounter with the risen Christ and he gives his life to Jesus Christ. Once he was a persecutor of Christians and now he changes and he becomes a person that proclaims the gospel wherever he goes. And this is what he says in Romans 8.33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and He's also interceding for us. Do You see that over and over again, the Apostle Paul ties in the death and the resurrection to the personal implication in our life that now because of that great act of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too can have new life. Last week, we had five people baptized and various ages. You heard their testimony, some of you who were here. You heard their testimony. What's so unique about them is that Jesus Christ, each one of them encountered Jesus Christ in a different way, but in a very similar way. They understood and knew that Jesus had forgiven their sin, that he had been raised from the dead, and now they were placing their hope they're placing their life, they're placing their future in His hands. And they were saying, I want to be baptized because I want to identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to identify with Him dying for my sin. I'm claiming that. He's forgiven me of my sin. And now I want to walk in newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, somebody reached in and touched their heart from the outside. 
It's the same thing that happened in Christ's resurrection. God raised Him from the dead. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are intricately tied to our salvation. And it's something that we cannot compromise about. We trust and believe, and it has implications for our life. So I just want to give you a few action steps that you can do this week as you think about the resurrection. Number one is is that God is able to work in your life. God is able to work in your life. That's a big thing. Because we need someone outside of our life to be working in our life. And God says that He's the one that will do that. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you new life in Christ. Second, don't let your faults, your fears, your past keep you from a relationship with Christ today. You know, some people, so many people think that, well, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to follow Jesus. No, you're not good enough. Only God can make you good enough through His love and His power in your life. And sometimes when our faults are exposed, that's the best place to be. When our fears are exposed, it's the best place to meet. Because sometimes our fears have to meet the God who we believe in. And the God who we believe in is greater than anything else. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And when we hold on to those scriptures and we believe those principles... And the Holy Spirit begins to to, uh, impart those truths into our lives. That is the time where you you activate your faith in who you believe in Jesus Christ is. Third, in Christ, God has chosen you. He's justified you. That means He said, I declare you not guilty. I declare you not guilty. And I declare you accepted, completely forgiven. Romans 8, 33 and 34. And last, live in the reality and the power of the resurrection today. How do you do that? Well, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church and author of The Purpose Driven Life, together with his wife Kathy, went through a very devastating loss when their 27-year-old son, Matthew, took his own life after battling depression and mental illness for years. About a year after the tragedy, Rick said, I've often been asked, how did you make it? How did you get through your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. You see, the death and the burial and the resurrection happened over three days. Friday was a day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt, confusion, and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was a day of hope and joy and victory. And here's the fact of life. You will face these three days over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, 
you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? And the answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. Friends, the answer is that Jesus overcame death, sin, and Satan. And His victory is our victory when we place our life in His hands. Live in the security of knowing that God has won the victory. That He's chosen you. Live in the freedom that you are forgiven. That you can know Him and follow Him. That's the grace of God in your life. Receive that grace. Walk in that grace. Live in the victory of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we come before You today. And Lord, we know that There are some people living in the pain of Friday or the doubt and silence of Saturday. But Lord, that you want to move us into the victory of Sunday. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, as we turn to you right now, by faith, placing our lives in your hands, Lord, I ask that you will speak to each person here deep in their heart whatever they're going through Lord even if they're not going through anything their lives are been blessed by you and they have a joy and a good outlook on tomorrow Lord I pray that they would see that that's because of you and they need to turn their lives over to you Lord that is the best best possible life we can have is when our life is in your hands. So I pray you minister to people. Minister to people in pain. Minister to people in suffering and silence. Lord, give us a new appreciation for the resurrection and the power of God that lives in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us if we belong to you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.